0: Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. And this morning, we get to continue in this amazing story about Joseph. I've heard this story since I was a child. The high-tech uh, medium that we used as a child was flannel graph. How many of you remember flannel graph? How many of you never heard of it? Oh, you don't know what you're missing with all of your cell phones and all this and all that. I mean, (laughs) that's right. But what a story it is. This just is an amazing story. I I loved it as a child, but as I grew up and when I became an adult and understood more about life, I uh, began to appreciate more what the story was all about and, and the drama of it. And I can tell you honestly... Every time I have read it for many years, I've cried. Especially when it gets to the happy ending. And we, most of us, not, if not all of us, know that there is a happy ending to this story. But it touches my heart so deeply. It's one of my two favorite stories in the Old Testament. I also confess that I, I have to chuckle about the story from time to time. I mean, talk about family dysfunctionality. Brothers selling their kid brother into slavery. Come on. Who ever heard of such a thing, but they did it. I mean, my brothers did some bad things to me. Not real bad, but when I was six years old, my first grade teacher had us make a little Christmas present for our parents. So we got a little paper plate and we drew a picture on the paper plate, decorated it nicely, wrapped it all up. And I was so proud of that gift I thought it was so special. I could hardly wait for dad and mom to open that gift. And they opened it, and they oohed, and they awed awed over it. But my older brothers, they snickered, and they laughed, and they made fun of it, and they made me cry on Christmas because they were laughing at my gift to my parents. When I was three or four years older than about nine or ten years old, by this time, I had wised up to my older brothers. They were six and eight years older than me. But they came up to me one day and very seriously, they said, uh, Jonathan, we, we have something to tell you. Uh, Dad and mom won't tell you this, but we think you ought to know that you're not really part of us. You were adopted. You're not really part of the family. <coughs> what? That can't be true. Mom, was I adopted? No, they're just teasing you, you know. So, you know, our siblings, I'm I'm sure you have your stories to tell. Our siblings can really do some ornery things to us and and sometimes some hurtful things to us. I don't think any of us have ever come close to having our siblings sell us into slavery. It's just amazing. But that is what happened. And so as we know, he was sold into slavery. He was uh, uh, bought by Potiphar in Egypt, the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh. And he's rising up to prominence again. And then he's framed for something and he finds himself in prison. And when we come to chapter 40, page 33 in your Bibles, the Bibles that are on your uh, chairs there today, page 33, we find that Joseph is still in prison. There's really not a whole lot new That happens to his life. He's still in prison. His dreams are not being fulfilled. He's gone from the pit to being a slave to being framed for a crime and now he's in prison. And there he is and he is not any closer to his dream being fulfilled than he was at the beginning. In fact, it appears that he is moving in the opposite direction. It appears that he is further than ever before from his dream being fulfilled. What did he do while he was in prison? This morning, I want to share three lessons from his life to prepare yourself for what you can do when you're in prison. Aren't you excited about that? Well, you know, though, sometimes it's not just a literal prison, but sometimes we find ourselves in other kinds of prisons, don't we? And sometimes they're not of our making. Sometimes we can put ourselves into prison by our own bad choices, but sometimes other people can put us into emotional prison, or, or life can just put us into circumstantial prison, and we see no way out. What do we do? Let's bow our heads together for prayer, and then I'll share these three things with you. Father in heaven, we thank you for what the Apostle Paul wrote when he said, everything that was written in former times was written for us, so that we, through the faith and the encouragement of Scripture, might have hope. And so now we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, and where there is hopelessness in the heart of any person here today, that would be replaced with hope. Where there is sadness, that that would be replaced with joy. Where there is brokenness, that would be replaced with healing. And so we call upon You. We thank You for Your presence with us. And we ask You to work among us now. In Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. What do we learn from Joseph's life? First of all, we learn that God calls us to serve while we're in prison. God calls us to keep on serving and giving our life away even while we are in jail. And so we see this in this story that Robert us in, in chapter 40. We see that Joseph is in prison and there's these other two guys who are thrown into prison And Joseph, rather than turning inward, reaches out to them. If you look at verse 6, it says, When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. You know what happens to us many times when we're in prison is that we cannot see the trouble that other people are going through because we're so focused on our own troubles. But Joseph observed that these men had troubled faces. But observing is one thing. Following through is another thing. Sometimes we see people who are going through troubles and we walk the other way. Especially if we feel like we're in prison. If we're going through a hard time. But Joseph did not walk the other way. He walked right up to them. And it says in verse 7, So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? Isn't that good? What a man that he would reach out as he reached out at that time. It is hard, let's admit it, it is hard to keep on serving others. It is hard to reach out when we feel like we are trapped. Or when we feel like we are going nowhere. Or when our dreams are not being fulfilled. Our prison could be an emotional prison. It could be a circumstantial prison. It could be a repeated failure in some area of our life. And the last thing we feel like doing is reaching out to other people. One man said this. I want to repeat what I read in the past couple of weeks on this. Suffering turns us in on ourselves. Our own fears and worries become all-consuming, leaving us with little time or energy to think about others. We desire and expect others to inquire about our sorrows. And the last thing that we want is the burden of someone else's troubles. We have enough of our own already. And that's the way it works for us so many times, unfortunately. How many of you have ever heard of Michael Fortino? Let me see your hands, please. That's what I thought just one person this morning let me tell you about michael fortino michael fortino about 15 16 17 years ago well let me let me put it this way if this level right here represents the level of stardom fame and becoming a household word in america he was right here michael had everything going for him it seemed He was wealthy, probably a millionaire. He was becoming famous. He had a a TV show going on where he interviewed great leaders of the world. He interviewed uh, George H.W. Bush, Colin Powell, Margaret Thatcher, and others for his television show. He was on the Jay Leno show. He was just getting ready to break through to stardom. when Oh, and I mentioned one other thing. I forgot to mention one other thing. He would regularly speak to crowds of ten to 15,000 people and every time would receive a standing ovation. He was such a dynamic speaker. But in the year 2005, something was discovered about his life and he was busted for something he should not have been doing. And he got into trouble. And he wound up in prison. Unlike Joseph, he was imprisoned for his own stupidity. Well, Michael Fortino is Kathy's brother. And for many years, in spite of the fact that they were siblings and brothers and sisters, they would have nothing to do with each other. Not that that was Kathy's desire, but Michael was just too good for the rest of his family. He would spend very little time with his family. But Kathy kept praying for him. She prayed that God would humble him and bring him down so that he would find Christ. And boy, did God answer her prayer. When he was busted in 2005, Kathy and I knew that this was our opening to get involved in his life. And so we we got very much involved in his life. Finally, in 2007, he was incarcerated and he is in prison to this day. It has been... An extremely difficult time for the whole family, especially for Kathy and me, especially for Michael, in the nightmare of a federal prison, in the federal prison system. It is a nightmare, it is a disaster. And while he has lost his fame and while he has lost all of his wealth, And while it looks like that he has lost his marriage and all of his other friends, his sister and I have stuck with him. And we have continued to share Christ with him. And and we believe that he has come to saving faith. But it's been difficult and many ups and downs. Many terrible times. We thought he had seen the worst of it until two months ago. Two months ago... In his prison, a virus swept through, and everyone got sick, terribly sick. Many of the inmates had to be hospitalized, and in prison, you got to be really sick to get out of prison to go to a hospital. People throwing up. Michael wrote to us, and he said, it's like Dante's seventh hell in here. The whole place was quarantined. Windows were shut because they didn't want this disease to go out into the air and infect others. And they were incarcerated to begin with, but now doubly incarcerated in this hell as they suffered. We started praying for him, and we started praying for the other inmates in this extremely difficult circumstance. Kathy said to me one day, she said, Jonathan, I feel like we ought to send him some more money. Every now and then we'll send him a little bit of money through the system so he can buy a few supplies for himself. And we had just sent him some money because he had a birthday in January. And I said, we just, we just sent him some money. Why do you think he needs more? She says, I just feel strongly that he needs more money. I said, okay. So I got onto my laptop and sent him another hundred bucks and a few days later I understood why the Holy Spirit was speaking to Kathy. He wrote back and he said, you have no idea what that gift has done for us. There's nobody here to take care of us while we are deathly sick. I went to the commissary and I bought some supplies so that I could take those supplies and reach out to others who can do nothing, who are bedridden. We were glad to hear that. We had received another email from him and he said, people want to tell you what your gift has done for them. So I said, Well, let us know. We would love to hear what it's done. Let me read to you a couple of quick little testimonies. This is what some of the other inmates wrote to us through Michael. One of them said, as a prisoner, I've had many disappointments and discouragements. And over the years, most friends and family have moved on and stopped writing or offering any help. There seems to be a lot of us here in this situation. But many of us have found that we are fulfilled through the love and hope that we hold so closely to in Jesus Christ. We see His love in the acts and kindness of people like you. And it makes us here want to keep going and keep sharing the truth. You helped several of us here feel better during the illness and help to restore our strength so that we may continue in our quest to share Christ's message in this dark place. Your kindness has restored hope. Another one wrote, thank you for thinking about me and helping me. I was really sick. I'm better now. You guys are really special because you want to help so many of us and you did. I was starting to lose faith Because everything was falling apart and no one cared. And no one seemed to be at peace. But I was able to find peace, especially after I heard that you were praying for us. That knowledge that someone was praying for me brought me back and let me realize again that Christ is here with me even at times like this. You helped to restore my peace by making me feel better and reminding me that Jesus is always with me. Even here. Boy, it was wonderful to receive that. All I did was get on my laptop and type a few keys and away the, it went. But Michael was there taking that and serving others. Michael wrote us another one after that and he said, Jonathan, he said, even the haters and the bullies are now listening to the message of Christ. Because I and others are able to go to them with these supplies and to take care of them in their desperate sickness. They now see unconditional love reaching out to them. I hope that none of us ever have to be in any kind of situation like that, but whatever prison we're in, I can share with all of you that as difficult as it is for all of us and as tempting as it is to turn inward and to be totally preoccupied with ourselves, God is wanting us to break out of that to reach out to others in that situation and to serve others. That's the story from Joseph. That's the lesson from the story of Joseph. Here's number two. God calls us to help others fulfill their dreams while ours go unfulfilled Joseph had two dreams remember remember that? the dream about the sheaves of wheat bowing down to his and the dream about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him Joseph knew that he was going to be a ruler Joseph knew that God was going to do something amazing in his life But he got sold into slavery. And he then became bought by someone else. And then he was framed for a crime. And now he's in prison. His dream is not going fulfilled. His two dreams are not going fulfilled. And then two other dreams come to him from two other men. And he interprets their dreams. And their dreams get answered. Now, admittedly, one was not very good. (laughs) When the guy got impaled... When the guy got executed. But nevertheless, I I cannot fail to see the irony of this. That Joseph's two dreams are unfulfilled. But he serves others. And he sees things happen for other people. You ever feel like that? Where you see other people going forward. You see other dreams being fulfilled. You see things happening for other people. And you feel stuck. It doesn't feel very good. And yet, God is calling us to serve others and perhaps even to help others see their goals accomplished while ours go unaccomplished. Years ago, a very wise man said that a servant is someone who gets excited about making other people successful. Here's the third lesson that we can learn from the life of Joseph. God calls us to be faithful even when nothing is happening for us. God calls us to be faithful when there is silence all around. In this story, if you look On page 34, in the last verse, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And when you go into the next chapter, you find that he was forgotten for two years. You see, Joseph tried to play it. He said, look, I know who you work for. I know you're going to go to Pharaoh, and I know that you're going to work for him again. And so when you go, tell him about me. Here's my great connection. Finally, I have an inroad again. God is mightily at work. And so when you go and you work again for Pharaoh, tell him about me. I did nothing wrong and get me out of here. And so when the chief cupbearer goes, Joseph is probably thinking, well, I need to give him a little bit of time, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, and then I'm going to get out of here. And a week passes, and two weeks pass, and a month pass, and three months pass, and six months pass, and he doesn't hear a word. And finally, at some point, surely at some point, Joseph realizes he's not going to do anything. Nothing is going to happen. I have been What do we do when we are forgotten? What do we do when the silence is all around us? In 1996, my mother died. She was one month short of her 75th birthday. She was a godly woman and I was very close to her. As she breathed her last, most of the family members were... Around her bed, my sister talked her into eternity. I held her hand and we ushered her into the presence of God as best we could. After everybody left and as my mother was still lying there on the hospital bed before her body was taken away, I closed the door to her room and I knelt down at her feet. And I prayed and I thanked thanked God for her life and for what she meant to me, which is a whole other story, but I can't tell you that now. But I worshiped God at the foot of her bed. Finally, we buried her. All the family members went home. We went home. And for the next two months, it seems like heaven opened. My fellowship with God for the next two months was some of the most incredible fellowship I had ever experienced in my life. I knew that my mother was there in the presence of God, and I almost felt like I was in the presence of God with her, worshiping the Lord. It was an amazing spiritual experience. That was in 1996. Not everybody here knows. Well, in 1999, something else happened. And not everybody here knows it. Kathy is not my first wife. I was married to my first wife for 27 years, and she is the mother of my three children. And in 1999, we discovered that she had cancer. And she fought it bravely, valiantly, for three years. And on January the 4th, 2003, she died here in San Antonio. And it was... The same scene. Family members were around her bed. This time, I talked her into eternity. We prayed as she breathed her last. We buried her. Everyone went home. And I remembered the experience after my mother's death of heaven opening up. But this time, different. This time, silent. This time, I couldn't hear a thing. It's not that I couldn't feel anything. I, oh, I felt a lot. I, I felt like there was this big, giant hole in my chest, and the people could just look right through me, and I, uh, I, it was just very awkward and very uncomfortable. My, my relationship with God, was good, I... I continued to to seek God. I continued to be in His Word. I, I was pastoring at the time. I, I continued preaching. After a little bit of a break, I, I continued preaching and, and leading a uh, church here in, in San Antonio. But in regard to my wife, I all I could feel was that she was gone. And, and there were times where I would I would just say, Where have you gone? Where where are you? Where have you gone? It felt so bad. I I knew the verse, and I hung on to the verse where Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That's the only thing I had. And I knew theologically where she was. I knew she was in the presence of God, but in my heart, I, I felt nothing. And that silence lasted for a long time. It lasted about ten and a half months. Finally, in November of that year, I started to have some breakthroughs. I had, I had three breakthroughs, just bang, 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 one after another within the space of one week. And um, I began to recover from what I was feeling at that time but for that other time it was difficult I read the the story by uh, C.S. Lewis when he wrote about his own wife dying he said he said it felt like a door was shut in my face and I could hear the locks on the other side of the door being bolted and then there was silence and my wife was gone And that's the way it was for me. One man said, where can you find assurance of God's love and care as you struggle to endure today's trials? How can you know that God's arms of love really are extended toward you? And that He has not, in fact, forgotten you? Especially when He seems to be living you in the same pit year after year. What was it that Joseph did Here is what Joseph did. He remembered the family story into which God had called him. That's how Joseph endured. And that's how we can endure when we are in the pit and when we feel like there is silence all around and that we have been forgotten. We have to remember the family story. You see, Joseph grew up in a family that though it was dysfunctional, they had a story. They had the story to tell to the world. His great-grandfather had received a promise from God and had passed it on to his, grand, to his son who was his grandfather. And then he saw his father live out the same promise. And Joseph hung on to the promise that their family was special and that their God was the true God of the world. And he hung on to that promise while he was in the darkest time of his life. And when we find ourselves in dark times when we find ourselves in prison, when it seems like God is not speaking to us anymore, we must remember our family story. That we are part of the body of Christ. And that our Lord is the triumphant Lord. And He has already conquered every enemy against us. And He has put them underneath His feet. And we will triumph in Christ. That is our family story and that is the only way that we can make it through such difficult times well as I mentioned in that terrible terrible time for me and for my whole family I grieved for about ten and a half months and I mean honestly in a way I I, I still grieve when when you lose something like that it never fully goes away but the major part of it went away When I had those three breakthroughs all all within one week. One of them was a verse where the Lord showed me, look Jonathan, I promise that not a hair of your head will perish. And I want you to know, not a hair of her head has perished. She's okay. And that was one of the three breakthroughs and it was wonderful. Well, during that time of grieving, as I was pastoring, there was... Uh, many people in the church that reached out to us, and there was a person who reached out to my family with kindness, and she befriended my daughter, and uh, she did many kind things. But she she was also kind of an or, ornery person. Uh, she took delight then, and I think still takes delight now in kind of yanking people's chain a little bit. And she would come up to me and give me this little sideways hug and and I just didn't like it at all. And, I, and she knew that I didn't like it, and she continued doing it. And so I would reciprocate with that little sideways hug and endure it. <clears throat> and then uh, after those three breakthroughs, oh, one other thing. Not only did I in, not like that hug, I didn't like her at all. <laughs> In fact, honestly, I thought she was an airhead. But I would never tell that to any of my parishioners. You know, that that just doesn't work. And And, you know, as you're pastoring people, you know you're an airhead. That just doesn't work. But I found out later that she thought I was a dork with a capital D. And she knew my first wife. And she often wondered, why would such a beautiful, elegant woman marry a guy like that? You know, she just couldn't put the pieces together. Well, anyway, after I had my breakthroughs, this ornery person came up and yanked my chain again and gave me that little sideways hug. And I put my arm around her and gave her that little sideways hug. And I went, wow. That felt pretty good. And he's really good looking, too. And many months after that, we got married. <laughs> yeah. And so, work with me now. <clears throat> so, this summer, we will be celebrating 12 wonderful happy years of marriage. 15, 12 out of 15 <laughs> ain't bad. That's 80%. <clears throat> God comes through. And honestly, we don't always see the breakthroughs in our life. Sometimes they come after we go on. And one day he is going to raise us from the dead and we will live with him forever. And we will have all of our dreams, not just all of our dreams. We will have the best dreams fulfilled for us. And that is the day we all look forward to. And that is our story that we must hold on to even when times are dark. In just a few moments, we're going to remember the one who also suffered the pit and the prison and who called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And after he called out, silence. There was no answer at that moment when he made that cry. And he died even though he was innocent. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. And the same God who raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest heaven to his right hand and made him Lord of all is the one who will fulfill the best dreams for us. And so as we worship today, let's use this time to ask him to fill us with his spirit so that like him and like Joseph that we've been studying, we would be faithful and serve him even if we're in prison and even if there is silence all around.